good morning. Welcome to What You Need to Know on Wednesday. It's Terry at Cottage in the Court. Do you feel the chill in the air? I know, I know. It's it's autumn. It's here. The leaves are changing. Oh, the colors, much like a kaleidoscope. I wrote about that on my blog. But also, it's time to really embrace the change. Time to consider what are we going to plant in that barren spot in the garden? What are we going to do with those leaves? Are we going to compost them? Are we going to put them in those brown bags by the curb and allow others to take advantage of that free soil amendment? Well, if you're thinking about doing anything in the garden, it might be the right time for me to introduce you to a friend of mine. April, April Thompson with Bloom. I chatted with April recently. Allow me to share April with you. Good afternoon, April. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Terry? Absolutely wonderful. April, Tell my listeners who you are and what made you fall in love with nature. Sure. I am a DC-based gardener, forager, food writer, environmentalist, and and other things. Um, But definitely nature is a huge thread um, to what I do and who I am. Really going back to my childhood. um, I, I love to tell the story of my oldest friend in the world who recalls the first time meeting me, probably around age five. And I introduced myself with a sock full of Buckeyes that I had collected. Uh, we, we lived in a Northwest Ohio, which the Buckeye being the um, Ohio state tree. So I have learned a bit since then, but really not changed at the core. Um, I guess I would say also going back to childhood, I had maternal grandparents who were florists and had a flower shop um, in my, my first job uh, was was working in a flower shop with them. Um, and my paternal grandmother also was an avid gardener and orchid grower. So I, I really had those childhood influences as well. Mm-hmm. But I would say it's really been the last handful of years where my love of foraging in particular has basically turned into a full-blown obsession. <laughs> obsession, I like that word because gardening can be addictive. Um, so tell me a little bit about your foraging efforts this year, because I know that you are a forager. Yes, um, this year has been fantastic. I, I set out at the beginning of the year, going out on New Year's Day and actually finding a few things to collect 100 wild edible plants and fungi. And I surpassed that goal by midsummer. And of course, I've kept going. Wow. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's really been the perfect quarantine activity, even though I had no idea that that's how it was going to go when I, you know, we first um, set out on this 2020 journey. But um, I mean, it's a safe way to get free food and enjoy nature in isolation. And I have to say, I have found so many wonderful things this year, and it's led in particular to so many interesting culinary experiments. You know, I, I guess the thing about foraging is that it gives you access to flavors that you would never encounter otherwise. Mm-hmm. So um, some of the dishes I've made this year, for example, pine needle ice cream, pickled ch- cherry blossom tea, 
flavor pesto, mushroom bitters, roasted ginkgo berries, just to name a few. Wait a minute. What kind of mushrooms? Um, mushroom infused bitters. So there are certain mushrooms that are extremely bitter, though technically edible. There's also some that are extremely spicy, though technically edible. Like it's, you know, you'll have one teeny tiny bite and you'll feel like your, your tongue is on fire, like you've had a ghost pepper or something. Mm. And you can um, dry those out and create a, a condiment with them, which um, isn't done so much here, but I, I know in some Asian countries is more of a thing. Mm -hmm. hmm. And that ice cream, tell me a little bit more about that. That sounds intriguing. Oh, it's divine. Um, and um, I must give a shout out to uh, Marie Viljoen. I do not know if I'm saying her last night or her last name correctly. It's V-I-L-J-O-E-N. She is from South Africa and lives in New York City. Um, I've interviewed her on several occasions. I've gone out on her gourmet uh, foraging expeditions where she has a um, prepared to picnic, which she, I believe she's, she's starting to do again. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, but she's got a few cookbooks out and one of them has a recipe for lemon fur ice cream. Uh, <laughs> fur is actually really, really versatile. And I have used it, I use it in a sugar scrub um, I've done um, for nougat. I've done like a forest chai with it. Um, other things I'm probably not even thinking of. Hmm. And we're talking about fur, the tree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, most um, most conifers uh, do have edible needles. There are, there are just a, a few to be concerned about. I think ponderosa pine, there's um, some concern about pregnant or lactating women, perhaps. Um, not quite sure on the details of that. Um, the other one you want to be careful about is um, the yew, which has um, toxic fruits actually not the fruits itself. The fruits itself, um, which are technically considered arils, I think, which is kind of what pomegranates are. Mm -hmm. um, the, the seed itself is toxic and you don't want to eat the leaves, but actually the, um, the flesh surrounding the seed is edible. So there are concerns with uh, foraging. So you really kind of have to know what you're doing. How did you learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to foraging. Absolutely. Um, it's, I mean, and it's really a lifelong journey. I've learned a lot, but I have more to learn for sure. Um, but there are so many different great resources out there. Um, I've found a lot of value out of Facebook groups that can help with identification, um, tips for cooking and so forth. Um, there's ones, you know, specifically for plants, there's specifically for mushrooms. There are ones for even families of mushrooms like bolites um, or amanita that can be, you know, kind of tricky to identify um, within that species. So there, there are people who specialize just in particular families of, um, of mushrooms. This goes real deep, Terry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. It yeah. sounds like it. Um, so but I, I, um, I would also say for people interested in mushroom foraging, there's a group um, called the Mycological Association of Washington 
that is a wealth of knowledge. It's only 20 bucks a year to join. Um, Pre-COVID, we would do in-person monthly meetings at the Kensington Library, and then occasional um, forays where, you know, if the weather's been good and someone says things are popping in a certain area, you'll get an email saying, meet up here, and there is a you know, certified expert who is there to help ID. Um, we also do culinary events, which are really cool. And right now we're doing virtual forays and virtual meetings, and we've had a great uh, lineup of guest speakers. So that's, that's really um, where I've learned a lot about mushrooms. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'd also say there's some good apps out there. Um, some people, you know, poo-poo apps, but I've learned a lot through apps. You just need to triangulate that information. Don't rely 100% on an app. That is based on some visual characteristics that will help you narrow something down. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, take that information and take it to, you know, someone that you know who knows more than you do or one of these Facebook groups or, you know, Google that, um, whatever that species that the app may say it is and, you know, see the identifying characteristics, see if it matches up. Um, another good thing to do is um, look at that species and um, with your Google search lookalike and see if there are any poisonous lookalikes to be concerned about. But really once you, particularly with the plants, the plants are, are easier than, than the mushrooms, but it's kind of like, you know, once you, you know, you make a friend, you, you know, if I saw you across the room, I would recognize you without fault, right? And it's the same thing with these plants and fungi. You, you get to know them and you can spot them from across the forest, essentially. Wow. Well, speaking of plants, tell, tell my listeners about Bloom. Yes. Um, so I'm the director of sales and marketing for Bloom and um, it is a very special product. It is a sustainable, slow-release fertilizer and soil amendment that is created from DC's wastewater stream at Blue Plains, um, which, by the way, is the largest advanced wastewater plant in the world, which is pretty cool. Mm. So if you live in the district, you are helping produce Bloom. But essentially, Bloom, um, it is, um, as I said, a slow-release, sustainable fertilizer. Um, you can use it to grow really anything from... Um, your back, backyard veggies, trees, flowers. It's used on commercial crops. It's used um, in commercial landscaping. It's great for turf grass. And it's available throughout the DMV area, either through our sales team or um, the number of local area retailers, which you can find at our website, bloomsoil.com. Mm -hmm. If you're growing edible crops, should you be concerned about using a product like this? Absolutely not. It is used um, by school gardens all over DC. Um, the Washington Youth Garden has used it. The late Dr. Frank Gowen was a big proponent of it, if you're familiar with him, mm -hmm. um, from the University of Maryland. But essentially we um, meet and typically exceed the EPA's um, what's called the Class A exceptional quality for biosolids, which make it safe for, for really growing anything, including things that you will be consuming. Mm. And we're happy to, I mean, if you go to our website, we have all of that data available and we're, we're very happy to answer any questions that may come up. Mm -hmm. 
Now, you're a community gardener as well. Have you used it on your community gardening plot? I have, yeah. And did, the, did the vegetables greet you at the gate? <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Those that don't get stolen, because that's a part of the problem with our community garden. <laughs> um, a positive problem to have, perhaps. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, because things are so um, delectable and tempting. But um, yeah, I, I have a number of perennials that I've been growing for a while, including um, an asparagus plot that I've had for, geez, I'm going to say at least a good six years and it mm. is it's been prolific wow could you use it on houseplants sure um i i use it on my houseplants i'll just kind of sprinkle a little bit on top mm -hmm. the uh, what we call a cured bloom which is available in bag at um, ace hardware stores and um, stores like homestead gardens in maryland um, that that is kind of the purest form of it and a little really goes a long way. So we recommend, you know, incorporating like, you know, 10% or so. And that's, mm -hmm. that's really gonna be all that your plants will need. And, and again, one of the cool things is it is slow release. So unlike a, a chemical fertilizer that it's just sort of force feeding the plants and then there's sort of n nothing available. This will sort of spoon feed those nutrients over a few growing seasons as the miller's mineralization takes place. So how often would you use it? Would you incorporate it in your garden every year or in your oh, houseplants yeah. every um, month or what? I, you know, I'd say, I mean, for myself, like spring and fall, um, it depends on things like what you're growing and, you know, how um, nutrient rich or poor is the soil that you're working with. Hmm. And for houseplants? Just when you transplant I would say them? I would say the same thing. Yeah, definitely when transplanting, because then you can kind of, um, you know, take the soil and incorporate it. We, we definitely recommend incorporation. You want to, I mean, if, if you top dress, you know, whether it's a, a top dressing a house plant or, you know, lawns and so forth, um, the nutrients will steep down, but um, it will take time and there, there will potentially be, be some runoff of the nutrients as opposed to you know, incorporating it to a depth where it's it's right in the root zone where the plants are going to take it up. Okay, that sounds like it's better to kind of mix it all up in there. Yeah, if possible. I mean, sometimes that can be tough for, you know, for people working with compacted lawns, um, but those are, those are the ones that need it the most. So, you know, um, I think sometimes people take shortcuts with things and, you know, you kind of get what you, what you pay for. <laughs> mm -hmm. So if you're like restoring a, a lawn or you're dethatching a lawn, how would mm -hmm. you do that? Remove the thatch? How would you do that? Yeah, I mean, there, there are plenty of folks that have used this for lawn renovations. And, you know, ideally you're going to want to get down to, you know, a good six inches and be able to incorporate um, that product. We, we actually have a number of, of products um, in bulk as well that are, that are good for um, lawn renovations. We have a product called our Sandy Blend that's a mix of the fresh bloom, um, hardwood finds and, and sands. And um, that actually has performed the best in field trials. We do have a lot of research that we have done um, to show the efficacy of our, our products that were done by third parties, um, universities. And um, that's, that's really been a winner for us. So a lot, a lot of the 
professional landscapers will will use that when they're they're doing um, turf grass jobs. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it because when you're talking our wonderful clay soil, mixing in yeah. some fines and a little yep. bit of sand would probably help a lot. Yeah, to get you know create that that pore space. Um, one of the other benefits of bloom, again, that has been um, borne out by field trials um, is drought resistance, which is also a good thing around here. Mm. Hmm. Sounds like people need to do a little research about bloom and start using that, huh? I recommend it. And it's not too late for fall fertilization. The wall, the, the window is closing, but um, it, it, it isn't too late, especially with this beautiful weather that we've been having. Mm -hmm. and, and the rains that are sure to come. Yeah, so April, that's, that's a good point. When you talk about rains, you do want to make sure that you're watering it in. Um, right. You know, some people, you know, occasionally something will go awry. And of course we get blamed and it's like, well, did you water it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it seems like a no brainer, but sometimes people kind of forget. And it, particularly with the fertilizer, that, that really um, is important to, to water that in. Right, because fertilizer can burn. <laughs> yes. So if you were to offer some advice to two groups of people, the new gardeners among us, as well as the older gardeners among us, what would you suggest? Oh, geez. Well, for newer gardeners, I, again, I, I would say, you know, connect with the community of, of gardeners. Um, you and I belong to GardenCom, which is more for garden communicator professionals. Mm -hmm. But there are so many resources out there. And I just find that people who have a passion for, for growing things are passionate about sharing their knowledge too. And so um, you can certainly learn a lot from, from books and online resources and so forth. But um, it's great just to connect with others, particularly in your own area. Um, and geez, for, for, for older gardeners, I would say, <laughs> I guess, yeah, um, be willing to share your wisdom with, with those that are getting started. Because we do have this whole renaissance of new gardeners this year, right, Terry? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And thank you. It's just time for old, the older, more seasoned gardeners to reach back. Because someone and, taught them at some point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because... I'm sure that every seasoned gardener has tried something that probably isn't by the book, but it works. Share that knowledge. People are itching for these ways of the past that might be brought to the present. You know, um, I, I want to thank you for, for mentioning that. So many people are like, well, you know, ask questions, don't assume. But you were the first one to say, basically reach back and share that knowledge. Thank you for that, April. Um, I was thinking too, as people begin their new plots for next year, they could, could they incorporate Bloom now? Absolutely. If you use Bloom now, you will, um, you know, you will, you will see that benefits in the spring because that's, um, again, that that slow mineralization as it's slow release will kind of get it, you know, get it where it needs to be in time for your, um, for your spring growth. Mm -hmm. I know I, I mixed some with some uh, soil. <laughs> I put some garlic cloves in and oh. the garlic cloves are like, hi there. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> wow, that, that was fast. 
<laughs> well, April, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with me today and sharing Bloom, your foraging exploits. How can people reach out to find you? Sure. Um, so for anything Bloom related, folks can reach me at april at bloomsoil.com. Um, you can also find Bloom on social media, on Instagram, where bloom.soil. Uh, also to connect with me personally, Instagram, if, um, for those folks around that, um, you can follow me at prillyt, that's P-R-I-L-L-Y-T-E-E. -E, and my Instagram profile has a lot of foraging resources. Um, otherwise, if it's something personal, you can also use the, um, the Bloom email and I can always revert to my personal. All right, great. Well, thank you, April. And you know, we'll be keeping in touch because I'm, I'm not a daredevil to start foraging <laughs> yet, but I did use magnolia uh, blooms this spring and made a cake. So, oh, nice. Next. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Magnolia, yeah. The, the buds are super spicy. That's actually pretty adventurous. I know. That's why it's like, uh oh, next I'm going to try maybe the buds or maybe yeah. some other type of shrub. Who knows? Yeah, you could use those as like a um, a spice, really, because a little with with those concentrated buds, it's like, and people think, oh, flowers are just like this, you know, sweet bland fl um, flavor, but there's a whole whole world of flavors out there waiting to be explored with foraging. Uh -oh. So maybe next season, Terry. Yeah, I was gonna say next season, I, I might be ready for it. <laughs> if we stay sequestered. All of us will be ready to try something different and new. There you well, go. You have a great afternoon, okay? You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, for having me. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, April, for spending a little bit of time with me. Now, everybody, don't reach out to April all at once, but you definitely need to consider incorporating bloom in your gardening experiences. Now, I'm not going to do a poem today, but I do want to share something with you from Gilda Radner. Remember Gilda Radner? She was one of my favorite comedians on Saturday Night Live, and we lost her to cancer. Well, it's October, pink October. And even in the midst of a pandemic, I want to give a shout out to all of my friends that are cancer survivors. I want to share my heartfelt sympathy to those that have lost people to cancer. And I want to honor my niece, Lexi. Gilda left us with some wonderful words. Life is about not knowing, having to change, taking the moment and making the best of it without knowing what's going to happen next. What's going to happen next season? We don't know, but you know what? We can dream. We can pour through garden catalogs and buy our seeds early because what you need to know is there's probably going to be another seed shortage. What you need to know is you want to prepare your ground now for the next season. I'd ask that you follow me. Cottageinthecourt.com is my website. Cottage in Court on Instagram and Twitter. 
And don't forget to follow my collaborative podcast with my garden buddy, Peggy Riccio, Gardens and Plants. We share what you need to know once a week because there's always something happening in the garden. Enjoy the day.